0: Welcome to Mostly Books Meets, we're the team at Mostly Books, an award-winning independent bookshop in Abingdon. In this podcast series we'll be speaking to authors, journalists, poets and a range of professionals from the world of publishing. We'll be asking about the books that are special to them, from childhood favourites to the book that changed their life and we hope you'll join us for the journey. In the podcast this week, I'm speaking to author Lucy Diamond. Lucy has been writing uplit fiction since 2007. She's published three novellas and 17 novels, the latest of which, Anything Could Happen, came out in January this year. Lucy Diamond is actually called Sue Mongradian, but she writes under a pseudonym because she initially started out writing children's books and wanted a new identity for her adult fiction. Lucy's books are perfect for escapism, fun books that are ideal for anyone who's been struggling with reading motivation during lockdown. Lucy, welcome to Mostly Books Meets. Thank
1: you very much.
0: I'd like to start off as I do with all my guests by going back to your childhood. I understand you grew up in Nottingham and you were one of four children. What was life like for you?
1: Yeah, that's right. One of four. So there was always someone to play with and things to do. I think I had a very ordinary childhood, no terrible traumas to report. Really nice, loving parents, a house with lots of books. I always loved writing. I loved reading. I was quite bookish. But there was always lots of children playing on the street, going out, riding my bike. It was a really happy childhood.
0: That was lovely. And your mum used to be a librarian before she had you guys. So I guess books were a massive part of your life from a young age.
1: They were, and libraries especially. My mum would take us without fail every other week to Beeston Library in Nottingham and we'd just all max out our library cards and it was just you know such a part of the week. I've really tried to do that with my children too just to impress on them that libraries are amazing because you can experiment, they're all free, you know you can just choose something you might not normally spend your money on Um, so we'd always go there and I think I drove my mum mad actually because quite often we'd get home and in the back of the car I'd have finished one of my books already because you know I just thought, <laughs> oh well I'll finish this one. So, oh, well we've got another two weeks to go so <laughs> yeah so there's always lots of books lots of stories at bedtime
0: it was it was really lovely it's so nice having that kind of cocoon of books around you as a child I, I think every child should have it mm. and I, I speak to so many people obviously in this podcast and, and the recurring theme that comes up again and again about the libraries and how important they were and still continue to be so What was the first book you remember reading?
1: I read lots of um, Enid Blyton. I just devoured them all. I loved all the sort of adventurous four books and all the school ones too. Uh, In fact, when I was about seven or eight, I had quite a nasty accident and had to go to hospital and my mum and dad were there with me. I was having stitches and it was like horrible. And my dad said, every time it hurts, I'll buy you a new Ian Blyton book. And even then, <laughs> even then, I remember thinking, oh, that's quite a good deal. And, oh, it really hurts. Bless him. The next day went out and he brought me the rest of the Mallory Towers books that I hadn't read, which was like, which helped me recover, definitely. But I really remember having books at school as well, all sitting down for story time at the end of the day and Vividly remember the first time I heard a Roald Dahl story, and it was *James and the Giant Peach*, and all of us there on the carpet listening. And you know, quite often there'd be lots of fidgeting and you know, messing about with people's hair or you know, wriggling about. But I remember feeling absolutely glued to this story just because it was so exciting and edgy and different and a bit naughty as well at times. You never quite knew what was going to happen. So yeah, Roald Dahl was a big author for me too.
0: I love that. I love the fact that you had, was that a daily story
1: time? It was. It was the end of every day when everyone was a bit tired. I think it was, this was the first year juniors. So are you then sort of seven, eight. We'd all sit down on a square of carpet and the teacher would read us a story and she'd, you know, take you through the whole book day by day. It's a really lovely way to end the day.
0: That is lovely, isn't it? I wonder how many schools are still doing that because that sounds like the perfect way for children to unwind. I think so. Yeah, definitely. And it was really...
1: The older I got, the more I the harder I found it to sort of wait every day to have the next bit read to me, I'd be like, Oh, I
0: really want to read the rest. I really want to find out what happens. <laughs> yeah, I guess when you knew you were able to read it yourself, you were like, I could mm. read
1: it. I know, the world opens up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The books you're talking about there. Very similar kind of reading style. Um, I was completely obsessed with the Inablight, and I love the fact that you talked about the Adventurous Four as well, because obviously a lot of people refer back to you know the Secret Seven or the Famous Five. And In fact, I was about to ask you which one of those you went for, but as soon as you said <laughs> the Adventurous Four, that was that was my favourite of the Inablight. Oh, thing. I love them! They just they just weren't as well known, were they? I don't no, know.
1: I loved the Five Find Outers as well. I think the, the Adventurous Four and the Five Find Outers. I preferred them to Secret Seven and Famous Five. Actually, they. They had just a bit more humour about them, I think.
0: Yeah, I agree. So you were reading from a very young age, obviously a big book, books a big part of your life. And you mentioned the fact that you were also writing. Um, mm. a young age. So so how did that come about? Was that through school? Were you just doing that in your free time? And, and, and what do you remember about that as a child?
1: I think I was really encouraged, you know, inspired by Enie Blyton, actually, because lots of her stories have little poems in them. And I started writing poems myself and had this, I've still got it somewhere, an exercise book full of poems. And lots of them are total Annie Blighton (laughs) ripoffs about fairies or, you know, going to the seaside, all these things. I totally sort of tried to ape her style. But then gradually I sort of started writing more things that interested me about my brothers and sisters and, you know, funny things that happened at home and, I was really encouraged at school as well. We did lots of creative writing at school. And I remember writing poems at school and the teacher saying, I'm going to send some of these off for a big competition, the Notts County Council Poetry Competition. And I'd written a poem about my favourite football team, Aston Villa. <laughs> <laughs> know so highbrow and um it got sent off and it actually was one of the winners of this county competition I was only six or seven that's amazing it was so brilliant and I think there were a couple of us from our school I was the youngest from our primary school and we all got to go into town to the Nottingham Playhouse where all the winning poems were read out by famous people and um Brian Blessed was one of the famous oh people goodness. I know I know. And Brian Kant from Playaway, who was like a bit of a legend in the 70s, <laughs> he was one of them too. I can't remember any of those, but it was really exciting. And I felt, wow, God, I wrote this poem and it what's happened. You know, it, it really started something in me, I think, that, oh, you know, if you if you have a go and write something, good stuff happens. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that was the start.
0: So then did you continue writing from that age? Was that then part of your life or did you stop for a while and pick it up again later?
1: No I always carried on writing. I wrote just lots of other poems and short stories and I'd write these magazines as well. Just about our family, what the cat had been doing, funny thing dad had said. And so I'd make these like magazines and cuz I was horrible I'd try and sell them to my younger sisters for their pocket money. <laughs>
0: I didn't think that was all horrible. I think that sounds very resourceful. Yes, I was an
1: entrepreneur, you could say. Um, We carried on. Then, as a teenager, I wrote real angsty diaries all the way through university. Oh my God, they are quite something. Um, And then, after university, I ended up working in publishing and I had to do, I worked in um, children's publishing. So part of my job was writing cover copy and sort of things for brochures, um, gosh, back when there were brochures, <laughs> um, catalogue copy, things like that. And I also got to go through the slush pile of everyone who had written a manuscript and sent it in. It was part of my job to basically reject them all. But it did make me think, you know, reading all these, like, oh, like, I think I could do this. You know, I, could, I it made me want to certainly try at least and get into meet authors and working with authors and thinking, what a great job to actually take an author's book and think, oh, how could this be made better? Can I help them at all here? So that really led to me thinking, I'm going to have a go and see if I can write a children's book that's how I started off
0: fantastic and because yeah you you mentioned you obviously you went to university and then and then ended up working in London so you studied English literature at university which is probably what kind of led you towards the world of publishing so when you were doing the work in publishing and you started to think or maybe I'd quite like to do this was it something that as soon as that idea crossed your mind you put pen to paper or was it one of those things that just kind of was in the ether for a while before it happened
1: yeah I think it was bubbling away and I got some really nice I used to write up you know. when I was very junior in the department I'd be writing up the minutes for our editorial meetings and they ended up becoming really gossipy and I'd put in like the not dry sort of minutes you might get from ordinary business meetings I'd put things like Caroline loved this book so much she couldn't stop it you know I just turned it into more of an interesting read I think and it got to the point where everyone in the department was like oh have you finished those minutes yet (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love the publishing meeting minutes and I started to get some really nice feedback about my writing style so that was really encouraging um, but yes it was just bubbling away for a while and then I start, I wrote it the first thing I wrote was a, t- a book for teenagers but because I really didn't want anyone to think oh right you've just got a book published because you work in publishing I was very cloak and dagger I did it all under a false name got an agent, you know, just because I really didn't want anyone. My name is so memorable and unusual that, you know, there aren't many. Well, there's only one, I've one ingredient in the world. So um, I thought, oh, I just don't want anyone thinking nepotism is going on here. So, yeah, but I did get a publishing deal for that teenage book and that's that started
0: me off. Fantastic. So you did, because how many teenage books or children's books did you write?
1: I've written over a hundred in all, various pseudonyms. I've written quite a lot of the Rainbow Magic series. Okay. Um, Staisy <laughs> Meadows. That was very much, you know, a writing job. I'd get a brief, this is the story, this time, this is the character. So, you know, it was a good job to get. And actually those books, you know, they get a lot of flack, but kids absolutely love them. And I've met so many mums who said, oh, these books got my child reading. I mean... What better thing can you hear, frankly, as an author? So,
0: what I like about, them, especially more recently, that they're, they're really focusing on different roles. So, looking at kind of gender roles in terms of like a girl maybe doing a job that in the past might have been viewed as more masculine and that kind of thing. And oh, and that's good! Really, really good. They're really pushing that. So, I agree. They are kind of the, the kind of books that some people might necessarily might poo poo a little bit, but I think they're fantastic. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's good. I've not written one for quite a long time. I stopped after a while. I think I'd written over 50 of them, and I thought, okay, that's enough, and I'm going to concentrate on writing
0: novels now. <laughs> yeah, so you, let's talk about that then. So at some point, now where in your career, how long had you been publishing when you decided you needed to take some time off and you wanted to go and travel?
1: I was about 25, and I had my dream job, actually. It was a really great job working at Transworld. as an editor of children's books there. So, I was working with know, Philip Pullman, Terry Pratchett. We had such brilliant authors, Mallory Blackman. And I was, you know, still, I wasn't their editor by any means. I was still a bit more junior than that, but it was brilliant. And honestly, seeing the way Philip Pullman wrote a second draft and just made the first draft so much better was a masterclass in itself to how you can improve on your own work. It was just wonderful to see brilliant authors like that at work. But I'd got to my mid-twenties and I thought, yeah, you know, I was really keen to go travelling. And I sort of thought, gosh, if I don't go now, I don't know if I'll ever go. So, yeah, I left that job and I went off for a year and a half travelling around the world. Worked in Australia quite a long time, but just backpacked around Southeast Asia and,
0: yeah, around the other side. It was It was really
1: great, really, really great.
0: It's a really brave thing to do, especially, you know, it's a lot of people when they go away and do something like that, it's because they're maybe at a point where they're not happy with what they're doing or they, mm. they you know, major life changes happen. But it sounds like you were, you know, in a good place career-wise. But I think it's fantastic you went and did it, because I do think that yeah, everyone gets a lot from going out and seeing the world. Um, mm. So when you came back, you then came back into the world of publishing. Is that right?
1: Yes, that's right. I did for a few years. And then I ended up working at the BBC, television centre which was brilliant it was really it was a really fun place to work every time you went for a cup of tea it was like who am I going to see in the canteen today you know you know I saw one of the Spice Girls and oh it was just really great but then I just had loads of children so I had to leave so so yeah um, I had my first two children in quite quick succession and it we moved out of London and moved to Brighton and yeah, it just, the sums didn't add up. I just couldn't afford to work, commute, and pay for childcare. It just seemed madness. So that's when my husband was like, Well, he was only working part time anyway. He worked three days a week, his job. And he said, Well, why don't we split the week? So we'll both look after the kids. When he was working three days a week, I'd look after the kids. And then he said, Well, the other two weekdays, why don't you? Know, well, I, I, he wasn't telling me. I sort of said, Well, I'll have a go writing, see if I can earn enough money on those two days while he looked up to the kids to you know contribute so I mean honestly there's never been a better motivation to writing than you no know, you've got to pay half the mortgage and bills with what you produce so I did do all those rainbow magic books because I know they're not an amazing literature but they they paid the mortgage and bills and and actually they taught me so much they really taught me about structure and cliffhangers and keep the writing concise. So, you know, they they were really, really good.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so at some point, well, I think it was when your second child was still a baby and you had your first one, you said, like you said, they were born in close succession. You made the decision to go on a creative writing course for, you know, a little bit of you time, a little bit of focus for you to be able to really think about what you're doing. Was that something that was a real kind of like, I know that I need this for myself, or was it something that you just fell into? I definitely needed something
1: for myself because, my life had really changed at that point from living in London, working at the BBC, having a great social life to moving to Brighton. So we moved like three weeks before my son was born. Didn't know anyone in Brighton. It was a total like, <laughs> let's live there. That looks nice. <laughs> Didn't know anyone. I had a one year old and a baby. And I just thought, oh, my life is completely changed from how it used to be. And all of a sudden, all I'm doing is cleaning trying to stop children crying, you know, just wondering what on earth my life had become. And I thought, oh, I might just do one evening class, like two hours a week to myself, which is what I did. And it was one at the University of Brighton. They did a, it was a two-year course, evening class, write a novel in two years. And it was absolutely brilliant. It was so great to just leave the house on my own (laughs) um, one night a week, be in a room with people who loved writing, who loved words and start exploring what
0: I wanted to say. And I understand that the work you started in that course then ended up going on to become your first novel.
1: That's right. And it was so liberating, actually, because before then I'd written lots of children's books. And, you know, I love children's books because you can let your imagination go wild and you know, anything can happen, to coin a phrase. But there's something really liberating in writing about how I was experiencing motherhood and how difficult I was finding it. You know, and it wasn't all nursery rhymes and going to the park and everyone having a lovely day. There were some days where I'd just be washing up at the sink crying because I was so tired and, you know, it was exhausting. And so I was trying to explore those complicated feelings of, oh my God, I just love my children so, so much and I'd do anything for them. But what's left of me? You know, I yeah. feel like a bit of a shell. There's nothing left of me. What's my personality anymore? I don't even know. So yes, I started writing, exploring a character who, the very first thing I wrote was her going out to a bar and being chatted up and her lying and basically saying, oh yeah, I'm a film producer or I can't what she says now, a scriptwriter or something. Because she knows if she says, oh, well, I'm just a mum, this man will be like, oh, okay, bye. (laughs) (laughs) So I thought, this is quite interesting. So I just explored this character more and more. And even though the course was meant to be two years, I actually wrote the novel in about eight or nine months because I just got so into it. And even though money was tight, times were quite hard. You know, it was very much a case of a bill came in and it was really like, oh, no, how are we going to pay this? I kept thinking, oh, gosh, am I wasting my time writing this book? I should be earning some money. You know, Why don't I just get a job in Sainsbury's or something to tide right. us over? Am I kidding myself? But a couple of my friends were reading it chapter by chapter as I wrote, and they kept saying, oh, God, write a bit more. I want to know what happens. And my husband was reading it too and being really encouraging. And so, yeah, I carried on, and I actually wrote the book before the two-year course had finished, which actually was just as well because I couldn't afford to pay for the second year of the course. <laughs> 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 But um, yes, that was enough to get me an agent and a book deal. And oh, it was just brilliant. It really was so, so wonderful. It was, you know, the moment I got the phone call to say, oh, Pam Macmillan have made you an offer." It was like a fork in the road on like my life changed. It
0: was- yeah, what an amazing thing. Because I think a lot of people think about authors writing books that, and it's a bit like people on the TV, you know, they they think that, they just get these opportunities and it just happens but there's a lot of hard graph behind the scenes and and to get that phone call it must just be completely magical to kind of know that your hard work's been acknowledged and and that things will be able to change Mm. Um, you know obviously as I said in the introduction since then you've gone on to publish a whole bunch of books and, and you've done three novellas in your 17th um, yes, came out um, in January this year, which um, which is called "Anything Could Happen." And we let's talk about that. Um, okay, so, but for anyone that well, people won't have um, known about it just yet. So, for our listeners, could you just tell us what it's all about, please?
1: Well, I hope everyone who reads this will find it uplifting and something to give them a bit of a boost through the winter months. It's a book about secrets and second chances, with a plot that gets underway when Eliza, who's eighteen, discovers that her dad is not the man she's always been led to believe um, her mum has not been truthful about it now she is 18 she's pretty headstrong so she sets off once she's like discovered once she's got a name and a place she's like well, well I'm just going to go and find him she sets off to find him from Scarborough where she's grown up to Cambridge where he lives and her mum Lara gets dragged along too so there's a mother and daughter road trip which I have to say I loved writing <laughs> um, meanwhile Ben the dad in Cambridge has no idea that he's a dad at all You know, he's been married to a woman called Kirsten for years and thinks life is pretty settled until Lara and Eliza turn up. So um, it turned out that Lara and Ben had this amazing night together in New York 19 years earlier. But the next day, Ben vanished without trace. So she's always been angry with him. You know, God, I thought I meant something to me. How could he just leave? But now discovering he's a dad and has not been told about it, he is furious and angry with Lara quite understandably so things don't get off to a great start um over the course of the book they sort of get to know each other again and I just wanted to write about you know those paths not taken where we've all had those moments where you think gosh what if something had come of that my life would have been completely different so yeah it is about second chances it's about being a daughter and being a parent discovering what being a parent really is I guess
0: Well, I mean, I loved it. I read it, as I said to you, just before we started recording, I read it, we're recording this at the beginning of January, and I read this book between Christmas and New Year. And it was perfect for that time of year, because, you know, it's cold and outside and it's dark and reading this book was wonderful. And what I love about it as well is it, you know, you you explore different areas of the country, but also the story goes over to New York, there's parts in Edinburgh. And so it's just, it's really lovely. It's focusing on different parts of the world. Where did the idea of the book come from?
1: It's always really hard to pin down because books come for me are a bit of a pudding where there's so many ingredients being added in. But I definitely wanted to write a bit of a road trip book. And I definitely wanted there to be a mother-daughter relationship at the heart of everything. I wrote the book during lockdown where we couldn't go anywhere. And it felt like nothing much could happen. So, you know, I love the idea of them just setting out, seeing what what would happen, not knowing, having the agency to go off and have an adventure. And I always when I'm writing a book I try to set the book in a place I want to go and visit myself and spend a bit of time researching so with this one I've got really as you say beautiful locations Scarborough and Cambridge Edinburgh and New York and I usually I'd try and get around all of them but sadly in lockdown I was unable to so I just had to live it all vicariously through the characters and do my best to conjure up the scenes that way.
0: Well, you wouldn't know that you hadn't been to New York to research it because the detail around some of the, the bits, especially around Grand Central and the oyster bar were absolutely spot on. It really felt like you were there. Oh, good, good. You mentioned the fact that you wrote this during lockdown. Mm. Obviously, lockdown it was a bonkers time and, and we're still dealing with the, mm. the outcome of, of all things coronavirus. But how did that whole period Affect you? Some people found their creativity was quite hampered, and other people found that it, it really gave them the space to be creative. What, what mm. did, you, which route did you go down?
1: Well, at first, everyone kept saying to me, like Oh, well, you're used to this writing at home on your own. This is nothing to you. But actually, I really, really missed being out. I realized how much inspiration I get from being out in the real world and interacting with people, and all those tiny details you notice every day from every like random interaction the way someone walks or their accent or just a look in their eye or something funny they say, a turn of phrase, all of those things feed into a book. And having them taken away from me was really, really hard. I really missed i missed that. When, I remember when cafes first opened up again, going and sitting in a cafe, a pavement table outside and listening to people and hearing little kids again. And, you know, parents talking to their little kids. I was like, gosh, I've really missed this. It was all those tiny random encounters that I really really miss, and also having the house full of teenage children as well was not really conducive to any like contemplation or you know deep thoughts. So anyway, muddled through. I just tried to write something uplifting actually because I thought, oh, well, I need to write something uplifting for my sake, and now I hope people find the book you know uplifting for them too.
0: Oh, they really will, and we'll make sure people read it because it is fantastic. It's interesting what you said about the cafe noises. I remember I interviewed Elizabeth Day some time ago, and she found the same thing. So to the extent where she actually found, I can't remember, if it was YouTube or Spotify, um, like a soundtrack of cafe noises. <laughs> <laughs> so she worked that because she said she was so used to working in public places that she didn't. Wow, um,
1: I thought That's was a really
0: good funny. idea. <laughs> so speaking about the pandemic I've chatted to a lot of people over the last few series of this podcast we started it in September 2020 which was you know halfway oh. through after the first year of coronavirus during those conversations I found that COVID had a lot of impact different impacts on different people and um, we talked oh. about it professionally but how did you find the lockdown how have the last couple of years been for you both I guess professionally but also personally as well
1: yeah personally I mean for me I'm in my 50s now and I feel like I've had my adventures. I really felt for my kids. My two eldest kids are university age. And I just thought, oh, it's been so rubbish for them. You know, it it started in my daughter's first year at university. And then my son had his first year just after that. They were like one school year apart. And I just thought, what a rubbish year to be a fresher. Yeah. So it's definitely had more impact on you know younger people and children. Than me as a 51 year old although I did miss my 50th <laughs>
0: that was a bit rubbish <laughs> that is rubbish <laughs>
1: yeah but on a professional level it's meant I've really really missed going out and meeting readers that's been something I've really missed and I only did one event last year it was lovely it was this um Litchfield Literary Festival and it was in a stately home like big afternoon tea event And it was so nice to be in a room full of readers again, talking about books. And that was lovely, really, really lovely. And especially because at the start of the pandemic, I sort of felt a bit, not worthless, but like my job was a bit trivial, you know, that my job was making up stories when other people were driving ambulances and working in supermarkets and doing the bins and like really, really useful things that benefit all of society. (laughs) And so I sort of thought, God, maybe I should, you know, what am I doing? I'm just sitting in a at a desk writing a story. This seems a bit rubbish. But actually talking to people at this festival, so many of them said, oh, I was so glad for your books during lockdown. They really helped me get through this hard time. And that was really lovely to hear. That
0: made me feel, okay, now I am doing something that's a bit useful as well. <laughs> it is. I mean, I definitely, definitely hear that time and time again and we saw it within the shop you know people really really turned to books and found not only that they had the time to read them but also actually got a lot of you know support and I guess comfort from them Mm. and your books are exactly the right kind of books for that did you find solace in books during lockdown
1: I did yeah I really really did and I know lots of people said they struggled to read and they couldn't get into a book that didn't happen to me at all thank goodness I was always able to escape Although I did find sort of last yeah this time last year all I wanted to read was like classics because I just didn't want to read anything contemporary where coronavirus might you know <laughs> might might happen I wanted to read Jane Austen again and Charles Dickens and be taken back to a time where no one knew what covid was and you know everybody was going about their lives and I've not really been able to read anything very very sad either I just don't want to I want to either read sort of mysteries or thrillers where a puzzle is solved and everything is set to rights at the end. That's very satisfying. Or something really uplifting that makes me feel like, okay, the world is a good place. (laughs) You know, it's going to be okay. So, Yeah. yeah, my reading has definitely changed as a result of lockdown.
0: It'll be interesting to see whether that stays that way or whether it ultimately
1: ends yeah. up killing
0: me. I just who, who yeah. knows, none of us know. Yeah. So what was the last book you read or, or the last book that kind of really resonated with you?
1: Well, loads last year actually. <laughs> For the first time last year, I kept a notebook with all the books I've written. Oh, so, cool. it was it's been really nice actually to flick through that. Oh yes, that was good. One book I'd totally recommend is called Writers and Lovers by Lily King, which Came to me really serendipitously. I had bought a monthly book subscription from Mr. B's, the independent shop in Bath, and they sent it to me, you know, and said, Well, they sort of said email before saying, Oh, we're thinking of sending you this. Do you think you'd like it? And I was like, Sounds brilliant. Never heard of it. Sent it to me, and it's such a good book. It's about a young woman who is working as a waitress, but really wants to be a writer. <laughs> Sounds <Yeah>. familiar. Um, <laughs> And her mum has died, so she's really struggling with life. She's really overwhelmed by grief. She's sort of making some bad choices in life. She gets involved with a widower who has two children and also a younger man who seems a bit of a flake, and she's sort of in a bit of a mess. But it's so beautifully written. Really, the characters are great. They're really believable. Yeah, I absolutely loved it. I reread it, actually, before Christmas. It's good as a writer if you think... I often think, how is this author doing this? How did she make me feel like this? It's quite good to reread with that more forensic, authorly eye. And it was just as rewarding to read second time around. I found it really beautiful, moving and, yeah, compelling.
0: Yeah, I discovered the same book um, during lockdown and... I thought it was going to be a bit lighter than it was. Because hmm. actually, there was quite there was a lot of emotion in the book. Oh, yeah. And actually, I mean, I think the, the paperback cover, let's say, but the hardback cover really implied that it was going to be light and fluffy and everything. Yes. And yeah. We started both myself and my colleagues. Started reading it. We were both, like, oh, goodness, didn't see that coming, but total <laughs> great, totally agree with everything you say. I think it's it such a great book, and it's it, I'm really glad you recommended that one because, um, we, we tend to have it in stock anyway. So, read it as a, a good result. Good, and, and I love hearing that you did a book subscription. We do something similar at Mostly Books, and um, it's so popular, and I think it's exactly that that people get books that they wouldn't necessarily have chosen themselves. Yeah. It pu- it's a bit like a book club, isn't it? It kind of pushes you in different directions. Um, yeah. And I, just think, I think it's such a wonderful thing for people to be able to, to, especially if they're obviously massive book fans, to be able to get that. Mm.
1: Yeah, no, it's great.
0: Are you one of those people that has to read one book at a time, or can you read multiple books on the go?
1: I'm usually a one book at a time person. Otherwise, I get
0: too confused. I think I could probably
1: mix up with fiction and nonfiction, but if I'm, I don't think I could read two novels at once because I'd be thinking, it hang on which character is this book in?" And yeah, that might get too confusing. But I have occasionally sort of dipped in to. Um, I'm reading. Anne Patchett's new book of essays at the moment and I could see myself reading a novel alongside that because each essay is your standalone they're, oh, they're just great I love Anne Patchett so that would work I think but yeah no I tend to just do one at a time.
0: I have a theory anyone that's listened to the podcast knows this that everybody that's a reader has a book that has impacted them significantly at some point in their life so the book that changed their life and that could be professionally it could be personally do you have a book like that and if so what is it?
1: I think mine is Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier because it was such a moment for me. I I was in my last year of primary school, so I must have been 10. I'd been reading like Ine Blyton and all the rest of it before then. And then my mum came to me and said, oh, I think you're ready to read this now and gave me Rebecca. And I felt really grown up with her letting me read one of her books. It was a real moment. And obviously, you know, I was 10. Some of it went over my head as I was reading, but I found it so gripping and the scene so vivid and in fact last time I reread it I was struck all over again I could remember myself reading it as a girl the horror of that scene where she's getting ready for the fancy dress party and the dread knowing that Mrs Danvers has tricked her and is manipulating her And oh it's just so good and so that really opened up this whole world to me yeah it was like opening the door to all the other books in the grown-up section of the library and and so when my daughter my oldest daughter was that age I actually gave Rebecca to her with the words my mum used say oh I think I'll be ready for this now oh uh, it, was it was really funny. nice for me to do and I told my mum and I was like, I've passed on Rebecca and then a few years ago Hannah my oldest daughter actually gave me a lovely new edition of Rebecca as a Christmas present so it's a really special book to me and it's such a great read it's brilliant gothic yeah it's a psychological thriller really isn't it
0: yeah absolutely I love the fact that you've got like the handing down the family that's such a lovely thing and then to then end up getting it back as a gift I mean what I know
1: yeah so yeah that's a really special book for me really really good
0: it is interesting as well though isn't it because when we were both younger it was that same thing where you had the children's books you had the adults books but you didn't really have the bit in between like there is now this young adult fiction which is fantastic but like that step, and I, I always find it interesting. When I talk to people about where that transition happened because some people did it quite early, and other people kind of carried on reading quite children, quite young mm. books until they were later in their teens. But it's just, I just find it really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anything could happen. Came out in January in hardback, and is obviously out there now for readers to enjoy. What are you working on now, or are you working on anything at the moment? Now that that's out.
1: I've just finished. A very messy first draft of a book that will be out next year. It's at the stage. i have just about to start editing it, do my massive edit. So I feel like it could all change, to be honest. Characters could be cut out. I'm quite ruthless in my own edit before anyone else sees it. But it's about a dysfunctional family. The story takes place over the course of a year. And it's about them all dealing with a terrible tragedy and dealing with it quite badly in some cases. But over the course of the year, how... Oh God, I'm making some rubbish. Made up, made up. Yeah, so it's set, it starts and ends on the same day of the year, 12 months in between, and you sort of see what's happened to the family over that time.
0: I love that though, because seeing the transition over time is is always good to say. I can't wait. I can't wait to. to I, mean, I shouldn't be, I should, I should be saying that. Your first, your, your current book's just out now, so I'm like, tell us your new one. But I genuinely think that anything could happen is a fantastic read I think the way you write is great it's very readable I literally couldn't put it down oh it's great my, it, he, my boyfriend couldn't believe the fact that I'd finished it I literally read it in a day so like I say I'll be recommending it to all of our readers and um I just yeah thank you very much for putting it together and thank you so much for coming on to podcast today it's been really lovely chatting to you it's been so nice thank you for having me thanks very much all of the books mentioned during the podcast are available to buy from the Mostly Books website. This podcast has been presented and produced by members of the team at Mostly Books in Abingdon. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review and subscribe because apparently it helps people find us.